Thank you so much, Adam. Please do open a Bible to Joshua chapter 5. We're continuing our series on Jesus in the Old Testament, and today we're looking at Jesus' presence. And we're going to be looking at Joshua 5, verses 10 through to 15. Joshua 5, 10 through 15. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. So we are right in the middle of our teaching on Jesus in the Old Testament. And last weekend I was on the phone to Lee um, and his um, middle daughter now, Phoebe, his middle child. They've got one on the way. And we'd been talking for a few minutes and suddenly I could hear Phoebe piping up in the background saying, Daddy, why when you're on the phone to Ben do you always talk about Jesus? If the Bible were a phone conversation, if we were listening in, then one of the main subjects that we'd hear it talking about would, of course, be the person of Jesus. And if you're just joining us in the middle of this series, we're looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. It's not just that the New Testament is about Jesus, but the whole of the scriptures are about Jesus. And so far, we've looked at two themes. We've looked at Jesus on every page and Jesus promised. So just in case you have missed it, for Jesus on every page, we looked at Luke chapter 24. After the resurrection, some of Jesus' disciples are on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about all the things that Jesus has done. And Jesus appears among them, but they don't recognise that it's Jesus. And Jesus opens all of the Bible to them, the Old Testament scriptures, and teaches them that every single page of the Bible is about him. And the disciples afterwards said to one another, were our hearts not burning within us while we walked and talked on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. They were learning to read the Bible and see Jesus on every page and their hearts burned within them. Our prayer is that that would be true for us as well. Last week, we looked at Jesus promised Lee took us through Isaiah 53 and we learned to read that the promise of Jesus, the promise of the incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his presence among us is also on every page of scripture. Today we're looking at Jesus' presence, how we actually meet Jesus in the Old Testament. It's not just that he's talked about, 
It's not just that it all points towards him. It's not even just that it's a picture of Jesus, but Jesus is literally present on the pages of the Old Testament. He appears time and time again. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke of how sometimes we think of Jesus as being a little bit like a super sub in a game of football. That, you know, the, new, the start of the New Testament marks half time and suddenly enter onto the pitch, super sub Jesus, who's going to win the day and make all of the difference. One theologian I was reading this week said, some of us tend to think of Jesus' arrival as, li- as a little bit like that cheesy and awkward key change that you used to get in 90s pop songs. You know, like your classic uh, Take That or Backstreet Boys song, and in the last chorus, they all stand off their stool and they sing in a key above what they have been singing in. It somehow feels new, sometimes even a little bit disconnected and a little bit dramatic. But of course, it's not like that at all with Jesus. That's what we're learning in this series. He's been there all along. Now, of course, in some sense, there is a key change because the new covenant has come with Jesus. But it's not like Jesus, you know, before, before the New Testament, it's not like Jesus was just sat on a sun lounger on some beach in heaven, just chilling out, waiting for the day of the incarnation to arrive. Jesus had been active and busy and working. He'd been creating, sustaining all things and holding all things together. He had always been there. Now, Lee reminded us last week that John starts his gospel with the words, in the beginning. So one question that you may have been asking throughout this series so far is how is it that if no one can see God, which is what we're told in the scriptures, how is it then that lots of people in the Old Testament did actually see God? As in the passage today, they talked with him, walked with him, wrestled with him even. Who was it if they saw God? Who was it that they were actually seeing? In Moses 33 verse 11, this is a beautiful verse, we read this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Who was it that Moses was speaking with? Well, John goes on to tell us in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The New Testament, not just John, but, well, that's, um, Jesus says it as well. Paul says it all the way through the New Testament. Whenever we're seeing God in the Old Testament, they, the people that are seeing him and encountering him are encountering the person of Jesus. Think about what, Paul says in Colossians, Colossians 1 verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. So this morning we're going to have a look at some of the times when Jesus appears in the Old Testament. So keep your Bible open please at Joshua chapter 5 and we're going to go all over the place 
in the Old Testament this morning, just so that we can learn to read Jesus present in the Scriptures. So Joshua chapter 5. Now, this passage that we've just read comes immediately before the Sunday School Classic where the walls of Jericho fall down. Now, lots of you will know the story. Joshua and everyone um, that, that is with Joshua is walking around in Joshua chapter 6, the walls of Jericho. And they're told to walk around the walls six, for, for six days. And on the seventh day, they walk around the walls seven times and then they fall. This encounter that we're looking at today in Joshua 5 comes immediately before that story. The people of God are still on their way towards the promised land. And Joshua is leading them there. And as they're headed towards Jericho, in verse 10 of Joshua 5, we're told that the people celebrated Passover. Now, Passover itself is a promise of Jesus. For those of you that know the story in the book of Exodus, God's people are going to escape from Egypt. God sends his angel to, to kind of um, move over all of the houses of Egypt. But those People that belong to God, they sacrificed the lamb, put the lamb on, the, on, on their doorpost so that the angel would pass over those people and spare them so that they could be free to begin their journey to the promised land. The judgment of God passed over them. Now the lamb of God, the lamb of God, Jesus was shed for us so that God's judgment would pass over us and Jesus would be judged in our place by taking on all of the stuff in our life that is wrong with us. So Passover itself, they celebrated that. It's a promise of Jesus. And then look at the next few verses. We're, we're told that manna was coming from heaven. Now manna was this heavenly bread that was coming down into the wilderness for the people of God and it would sustain them. Now again, this is a promise of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter six, I am the living bread. That, will come, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The manna was a promise of Jesus that the bread of life himself would come down from heaven and sustain us. Now notice what happens next in Joshua 5 verse 12. The manna stops coming. It doesn't come again after then, except Jesus himself is about to appear. So in verse 13, Joshua is on his way towards Jericho and Joshua looks up and sees a man standing before him with a sword. Now Joshua is about to go to battle against his enemies and so he sees this powerful mighty figure stood in front of him and the first question that he asks is are you for us or are you or are you for our enemies Now there's obviously as I've said something about this person that Joshua sees as representing power and authority and might and splendor and given that Joshua is about to go to battle, he wants to know, is this person stood in front of me going to be for me or is he going to be for the people that I'm about to fight against? And this person replies, neither. I'm not for you or your enemies, but as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. Now, 
at those words, Joshua suddenly realizes that he's in the presence of God. And he gets on his face and he worships this man. Now in verse 15, this figure stood in front of Joshua says, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is now holy. It's quite an encounter. The question that you may be asking as we read this is how do we know that this person is Jesus? Why is it that throughout all of church history, this figure in Joshua 5 has been interpreted by theologians, the church fathers, everyone as being Jesus? Well, firstly, we know that it's Jesus because he refuses to respond to Joshua's question. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? He just gives Jesus, he just gives Joshua, sorry, his title. Jesus is not interested in answering the question, are you for us or are you for for our enemies? What Jesus actually wants to know is this, Joshua, are you for me? Are you with me? And Joshua realises in that moment what's going on. And so he asks Jesus a question back. What do you want me to do? Jesus asks us the same question. Are you for me? And if the answer is yes, we respond by saying, Jesus, what is it that you want me to do? John Calvin, writing hundreds of years ago, wrote this about this verse. By asking, what command does my Lord give to his servant? Joshua attributes to him a power and authority which belong to God alone. So we're left in no doubt here at all that Joshua is speaking to God. The second way we know this is because Joshua worships this person. Joshua falls on his face before Jesus and Jesus accepts his worship. Now only God can accept worship. If somebody was to fall on their face before me or before you, you might be slightly embarrassed. If someone did that to me, I'd tell them to stop. There's only one person who's worthy of our worship and it is God alone. A prophet wouldn't receive this worship. Angels didn't receive this type of worship. Only God did. And this figure here in Joshua 5 accepted the worship. Now the clincher though is the third thing. This figure says to Joshua, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, what does this sound like? We've looked a couple of times in this series so far at Exodus chapter three, when Moses encounters the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. And God, who is the angel of the Lord, says to Moses, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, Joshua would have known the details of this story. Moses would have told him about it. And so when this person saying to Joshua, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground, he's using exactly the same words that God used to Moses. This must 
be God. No one can see the Father. It must be Jesus. Now, what do we learn from Jesus appearing before Joshua? Well, the first thing we learn is this, that the battles that we face are not ours alone, but they are God's. What Jesus wanted to do in this moment was to lead Joshua into battle. It wasn't that Joshua was going to lead himself and his men. Jesus was going to lead. Jude in the New Testament would later write this. Though you already know all of this, I want to remind you that Jesus at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. It was always Jesus that was taking the lead. Perhaps you're facing a particular battle at the moment. Perhaps you're facing an uphill struggle or you're dealing with something from your past or a tricky situation at work. You are not facing that battle alone. The battle is not only yours, but it belongs to God. And Jesus is wanting to lead you through it. You are not alone. The second thing that we learn here is that Joshua himself had to learn that if the walls of Jericho were going to fall, he first had to fall at the feet of Jesus. If the walls of Jericho were going to fall, he first had to fall at the feet of Jesus. Worship, in other words, worship should precede everything that we do. Somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago in a lecture that I was in, David was a great warrior because he was a great worshipper. David was a great warrior because he was a great worshipper. If we're to see the stuff of in our lives fall that we want to see fall, we first have to fall before Jesus and give it all to him. He is worthy of all our praise and adoration and love and affection. And we fall before him, recognising that it's only him that can bring about the victory. So I wonder what battles are you facing at the moment? Are you facing them, trying to face them alone? Or do you recognise that the battle belongs to God? And whatever obstacles you're seeing in your life at the moment, are you willing to fall before Jesus? Because he alone has the power to make those obstacles fall. In other words, this encounter that Joshua has with Jesus in the Old Testament, it's not just for Joshua, it's for us as well. So let me ask you, are you falling before Jesus in worship? Are you face down before him, giving him praise and adoration every single day? And are you more interested in asking him, are you for me or are you for that person that I'm struggling with? Are you for me or are you for that person that I'm finding really difficult at work? Are you for me or are you for my neighbour who's being really annoying? Are you for me or are you for my enemies? Jesus is asking, are you with me? Now it's not just here that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. As I said already, Jesus is present all over the place. 
We've talked in this series about how Jesus did not just appear in, in the New Testament. Well, ne neither did the idea of the Trinity. I think some Christians sometimes think that the Trinity was something that we just decided on in like the fourth century when church councils got together and decided that God really was Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But when we learn to read that Jesus is present in the scriptures, starting in Genesis, we begin to see the doctrine of the Trinity all over the place. It's easy to see the Spirit in the Old Testament because it, he's mentioned a lot. It's easy to see the Father in the Old Testament. But when we learn to read the Old Testament like this, suddenly we see Jesus everywhere too. It's not like he's just, you know, hiding under a bush or something. Well, he, in Exodus 3 was. But, you know, it's not just that he's, he's just hiding. He's making himself visible and known. Now, when you read the Old Testament... Um, if you do that a lot, and I hope you do, if you're not, then I really encourage you to start reading it every day. Um, you'll often notice a figure that appears called the angel of the Lord. And I mean a lot, like this figure, the angel of the Lord appears everywhere. And he's a very interesting figure. Um, he identifies himself as God and he's identified by the people that encounter him as God as well. So there's something divine about this figure, the angel of the Lord. He's distinct from the Spirit and the Father and yet accepts worship and uses the same language as God. And therefore, this figure, the angel of the Lord, must be a manifestation of God himself. If he's not the Father or the Spirit, he must be Jesus. He fulfills many of the same roles as Jesus. And crucially, after the incarnation, so when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, he's never mentioned again. We get told that an angel of the Lord came to Mary, but it's not the angel of the Lord. It's Gabriel, it's an, it's an angel. We never see the angel of the Lord again. So this figure is distinct to other angels. It's not just like he's an, a created angelic being. John, when he's writing in Revelation, tells us about an encounter that he has with an angel. And he writes this. I, John, am the, am the one who heard and saw all of these things, all of those things that he saw in Revelation. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of an angel who showed me these things. But the angel said, do not do that. I'm just a fellow servant of your brethren the prophets and of those who heed the words of this book. You should worship God alone. So angels don't normally accept worship and, that, and yet the angel of the Lord accepted worship all of the time. There's something different about this angel that accepts worship, identifies as God and behaves like Jesus does in the New Testament. So let's just have a look quickly at a few of these encounters of the angel of the Lord with some of the people in the Old Testament. So turn to Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, we meet Hagar, one of Abraham's, um, effectively one of Abraham's household, one of his staff, if you like. And um, Abraham and Hagar have an interesting relationship. For those of you that know the story, Abraham and Sarah have been promised a child, but it's not happening. And so Abraham and Sarah devise a scheme whereby Abraham will sleep with Hagar so that Abraham can have a child. It wasn't the best plan in the world. Um, 
Sarah, despite this being her plan, gets jealous of Hagar and quite fed up with her. And so banishes, basically, Hagar has no option, but well, she feels like she has no option except for to run away. And so she flees into the desert, into the wilderness, and she's in a pretty bad place. She's not in a great place mentally. Um, she's really struggling. It looks like this could be the end. And suddenly, in the narrative, we're told that the angel of the Lord comes to her, makes promises to her and comforts her. And after this encounter, this is Genesis 16, look at verses 13 and 14 with me. This is what we're told. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Be'elahahoroi, behold it is between Kadesh and bread. Now, what we're seeing here in Genesis 16, 13 to 14 is Hagar recognising that in the angel of the Lord, she's seen God and yet she's lived. Who she encountered? Jesus. And extraordinarily, Hagar called this, this, this slave girl, essentially, says about this God, whom she wasn't worshipping up until this point, you are the God who sees. She encounters Jesus and gives him a name. You're the God who sees. Isn't that beautiful? She sees God. We know that no one's ever seen the Father. She must be seeing Jesus. Now, perhaps today you're here and you feel like Hagar. You've been badly treated. You're in a really desperate situation and you feel like nobody sees you. Perhaps you feel ignored, abandoned and rejected. What do we learn from this Old Testament encounter with Jesus? That God sees you. That Jesus sees you even at your lowest point. And he loves you so much that he makes promises to you, comes to you and comforts you and accepts you as you are, that you might be transformed more and more into his likeness. Jesus is present in the Old Testament as he's present with us. Okay, Abraham, Genesis 20, uh, story of Abraham, Genesis 21. In Genesis 21, Abraham is on a mountain with Isaac, his son, and it looks like Isaac is about to be sacrificed. Some of you know the story. God asked Abraham to, um, to give up the thing that he loves the most, Isaac. And Abraham is up this mountain and Abraham knows, I think, deep down that the, the something's going to intervene so that Isaac, Isaac doesn't have to be sacrificed. They're at the top of the mountain and suddenly we're told by the author of Genesis, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. And the angel of the Lord said, do not stretch your hand out against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. This isn't an angel. An angel wouldn't speak like this. This is the angel of the Lord who is himself God and is speaking to Abraham as God, hence him saying, you've not withheld your son from me. Jesus is present there. Now, what's beautiful about this encounter, of course, is that the angel of the Lord 
Jesus would not withhold himself for being sacrificed for us. So where Isaac wasn't sacrificed, the angel of the Lord Jesus was so that we could be free. Abraham did not withhold his one and only son from God and God stepped in. The father did not withhold his one and only son from us and Jesus followed through so that we could be free. Okay, Jacob, this is Genesis 31 and 32. So Jacob meets an angel of the Lord in Genesis 31. Um, Earlier in Genesis 31, Jacob worships God at a place that he names Bethel. Um, He has a dream about a ladder and builds a pillar of remembrance to God. And in Genesis 31, the angel of the Lord comes to Jacob and says, I am the God of Bethel, this is verse 13, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. I am the God of Bethel. This angel is claiming divine titles. Now in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God. This figure that Jacob is wrestling with then blesses Jacob and says, and and Jacob says after he's been blessed, I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Jacob recognised that he'd seen God, but it wasn't the Father, it wasn't the Spirit, it must have been Jesus. Now in that moment, Jacob is wrestling with all of his broken identity, all of his doubts, his hopes, his dreams, his sufferings. He's wrestling with them as he wrestles with God. And we do the same all of the time, don't we? How often do you feel like you're wrestling with stuff in your life that's really difficult, that's beginning to define you? Jacob had to learn that his identity was not found in riches, in children, in family, in his own dreams, but his identity came from seeing God face to face. Do you know that the thing that will change your life is encounter with God? and seeing God face to face. Do you see that in the Old Testament, Jesus has always been present? Doesn't all of this make sense of the verses in the New Testament that we read about? That no one has seen the Father but we have seen Jesus and Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Doesn't it make sense of all the gifts that Jesus gives us? The manna from heaven pointing towards communion, Jesus' body being given for us. Jesus leading his people through, through the passing of the Red Sea in Exodus 14, doesn't that make sense of our baptism? That as Jesus leads us through the waters, that all of our stuff that keeps us captive, holds us in slavery to sin, keeps us in bondage. Jesus leads us through the water of baptism and on a journey to the promised land so that we could be free. We get rescued from our own Egypt and we begin with Jesus a journey of promise to new life forever. Jesus is present with his people in the Old Testament and leading them. And he's present with us now and he's leading 
us. So I wonder, where do you need to know Jesus present with you? Jesus never left his people in the Old Testament and his promise to us is that he will never leave us or forsake us. And as we read the Old Testament together, it's my prayer that we not only know Jesus present with his people then, but our hearts would burn within us as we would know that Jesus is present with us by his spirit right now.